Well, well. Guess we're back. This is Low Violet. My name is Tyler Broom. I host this little podcast where I interview writers, authors, poets, publishers, and everyone in between. Rochelle Chimurino is the author of the poetry collection That X and the chat books Comeback, Feel Royale, and Personal Engineering. She is the founding editor-in-chief of Peach Magazine, a literary publishing project with an online journal, print anthologies, and live and virtual events, or she was, and she runs Beauty School, an independent poetry school with workshops, craft intensives, and reading groups, and more. Whoa. She's a very ambitious and cool person. What else is there to say? Let's get to the show. The night that you came up with the idea for beauty school, were you just like (laughs) vibing and you're like, I have the greatest idea of all time? I don't know if it's my greatest idea of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's very creative. Thank you. Thank you. I'm proud of it. I think I have some other projects. Push Pop Official on Twitter. Um, Hair on Shower Wall on Instagram. Um, that are, you know, maybe more creative. Anyway, um, I don't remember what the exact moment was that I thought of beauty school. Um, I'd been teaching a workshop through Catapult for a while and a couple others through uh, Juniper at UMass Amherst and Just Buffalo Literary Center. I'd been a teaching artist with them for a few years and was interested, I guess, in centralizing all of my workshops, especially with how easy it was to run one over Zoom. I feel like moving on from like um, like an institution or like a, a catapult, like a, a business and like creating your own thing mm. takes so much energy and effort and probably f- there's probably fear in that of whether it's going to work or not. Can you speak to, I guess, your confidence in creating something and moving through those hurdles of self-doubt? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question and something that I am thinking about a lot lately with Peach Mag being on hiatus and um, the internet just having changed so much, social media especially having changed so much in the last seven, eight years. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It is hard to get the word out when it's just you. So the going through an institution is always easier because you know that the classes are going to fill up. They've got their own email list. They've got um, their regulars and people they can count on. You can at least assume that you're going to get some students and new faces, especially. Um, so the the biggest challenge, I guess, is finding new people and, um, I don't know, running everything behind the scenes, obviously, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm increasingly tired. <laughs> so you do it, so much. Yeah, I'm trying to do less. Um, that's, a, that's a big New Year's resolution for me this year, is to just kind of focus more 
does that doing so much just come from like the way that you were raised or does it come from like just worrying about not finding a job i don't know creating opportunities for yourself yeah there's definitely the financial need there um but i mean most of what i do doesn't make money um mm -hmm. i think i don't know i have a lot of energy and i have a lot of ideas and um i have you know time especially in my mfa i had a lot of time to work on ideas um so yeah i think it's just maybe it's my adhd i'm just like all over the place all the time i see people though like come out of their mfas and they may not capitalize on creating an opportunity for themselves but they might not even have the time or like the financial like backing or safety to do something like that i guess like you created beauty school after you came out of umass right mm -hmm. and yeah. was that to continue to uh be able to work and teach and stuff on your own time yeah yeah it was for a lot of reasons it was good timing um in terms of you know on the one hand i couldn't teach for juniper anymore it's through umass and it's only UMass MFA students. Oh. Can there. It's like a summer camp for teenagers, essentially. And then catapult had fallen through in the spring. Um, and so there was, you know, suddenly all of these workshops, I designed multiple session workshops. The, the Just Buffalo ones are usually single session. Um, but suddenly all of these, you know, workshop materials I designed, I taught a workshop my final semester at undergrads and it seemed like it would be easy to just transfer that all over to my own Zoom account. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, good good timing in that regard. But then also, um, I had gotten into such a rhythm of learning in my MFA, and wanted to make sure after graduating that I didn't slip into um, old habits of being preoccupied by work and life and being back in my hometown. And um, yeah, the the secret about teaching creative writing that no one talks about, but I'm really enjoying is that you sort of design the course that you want to take. And then you just sort of learn everything you can so that you can report back to, you know, quote unquote students um, who are often just like your peers. Um, so it is this incentive and accountability to keep learning um, in, a, in a structured way, to keep it's writing like you're, in a structured you're way. You're creating your own environment for yourself. Cause I see a lot of people like, back when I was first in undergrad, like in 2014, before I dropped out, I see a lot. I saw a lot of my uh, creative writing friends graduate, and then they don't have that the creative writing like sort of like environment anymore, and they really don't know what to do, and then they fall out of like interest or drive, and they yeah. get down on themselves, and they even like resent having gone to college. Yeah, absolutely. And I get a lot of energy from a lot of people. Like it is fun to do things with other people. I really enjoy especially when you can kind of be creative with other people um, and get into that kind of playful headspace 
that sort of um, play state. That's my favorite thing. Um, and this has kind of just given me a, a, a format for doing that and for identifying the next thing I want to learn about designing something that is essentially a to-do list for myself, doing it on my own, and then just taking notes and reporting back to students. Who do you like find like ins inspiration from? Do you look to any, I guess, do you look to someone specific that like for, worked? For doing beauty school? Yeah. Or in general. Of really talented creative writing teachers who do their own independent thing that I really mm -hmm. admire. Um, and I'm lucky that many of them are peers. Caroline Rayner is a great example. She does moon class, which has been um, such a cool thing to see her evolve over the years. Um, and then I guess at the more mentor level, I really have loved working with um, Hua Win at UMass. She was there for my last semester. I got really lucky. And I took her workshop and her seminar and clicked with her. And she is like the model for running your own creative writing workshop practice. She'd done it for like two decades before getting a um, professorship somewhere. So she was someone I talked to a lot when I was thinking about doing this immediately after the MFA. She was a great sounding board. Where did your love for poetry like begin or emerge from? <laughs> oh God. Um, my love for poetry. I didn't really start like thinking of myself as a poet or writing poetry or getting really into it until my mid twenties. Um, but I think we can always, you know, trace it back further than that and think of the different qualities of one's disaster of a personality that set them up to be a poet and interested in poetry. Um, I always like mention, you know, live journal was uh, a place for me in high school where I was not just writing creative nonfiction about my own life, just sort of updating this like diary entry that all of my friends and I were just sort of reading each other's, which was honestly just like a message board for airing out gossip and crushes and that kind of stuff. Um, but in addition to that, the emo music I was really into in high school, you know, I'd come home every day after school and just like sit in the computer room and scour the internet for new lyrics and copy and paste them into my live journal and buddy profile, that kind of thing. Um, I think that is probably, you know, more related than some of the other writing experiences I've had. What is your live journals, your username of reference to? Did you find my live journal? Yeah, I did wow. digging. Wow, that's incredible. Um, when we're off, when we're not recording anymore, you have to teach me your, your secrets um, because I've got some projects. Um, no, it is a something corporate lyric. The, the song Constantine. It's like, I'm not your star yeah. or something. Yeah. And then you have like alternate accounts. Um, I have tried to use LiveJournal in the past. You know, I probably, it's kind of like a Neopets situation. I create a new account like once every, maybe like four years or so. And um, try to use it as like a note keeping 
app essentially, like a way mm -hmm. to um, save things in a place that is low pressure and private, but isn't as like convoluted as like a million word documents, something that's more scrolling. Um, and Tumblr was never really a text-based medium for me. It was more of just like mood boarding and visual stuff. So um, LiveJournal is the, the most intuitive to me because I still know how to do it all, I guess. It was interesting because on, I was trying to find like a question that like no other interview would be able to like come up with. So I did a lot of digging. And when I found your live journal, the thing is, is you do, there's like, there's an account, but there's no posts. I made them all private. Yes. And so I crossed a threshold where I was like, you know what? I could keep digging and try to find something or I could like <laughs> lay back and not keep digging. But so I decided to keep digging. So what I did was I chose two people to read their accounts mm -hmm. and read their info. And from there on, I there was some just like a wild like roller coaster of emotions because there is there's Carmen, there's your first boyfriend, and there was Laura, this other uh, one of your friends back like in middle school or oh, eighth yeah. grade, and she posts, dude, she would like post like two times a day, mm -hmm. and it was just I like just like found this little niche community of kids, like it was like last year like during the winter break it was just it was very fascinating yeah yeah we were big study hall live journalers so however much you posted a day was kind of contingent on how many study halls a day you had would you want to talk about your first uh boyfriend because there's that's where some of the dark stuff that i uh yeah mentioned. it's sensitive i'll say that um, okay do you not want to go into that i can edit this out i mean i'm i'm happy to ask answer specific questions if you've got them um he's dead now mm -hmm. he committed suicide in 2014. yeah that's what i had found mm -hmm. and i felt like i don't know his posts were so like as like a young kid i don't know they were so it was just funny lighthearted, naive he had like an earnestness about him and it was just like, oh, I really like this guy. He's just funny. He's for like a little, like 11, 12, 13, 14 year old. Yeah. Yeah. He had a great sense of humor. He was a very, um, yeah, he, he was hilarious and fearless. Um, a, a real daredevil if I've ever met one. <laughs> May I ask why do you, did he choose to take his life? Or is that not something you want to talk about? I don't actually know. We had fallen out of touch. Um, at that point, we um, would go through periods of friendship and then um, just falling out of touch, normal life stuff. Um, and that it had been, I think, about a full little over a year since we had last talked. We, we talked briefly when I, my first year in Spain, I remember we, we caught up and, or I guess it would be less than a year then. And then that summer, I don't know what happened. Um, you know, there's, there were rumors and stuff on social media around that time. Um, but 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate. Okay. Because didn't he like move to Chicago from Buffalo? Yeah, he did. Okay. Um, so what happened to Laura? What is she doing now? Oh, Laura was, um, she was a, a friend in high school. We played basketball together. She was um, a neighbor. She lived in the same sort of um, townish place as me. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know much about her life. We, we, again, we weren't super close by the end of high school, though. I, you know, nothing will love her. She, I know, is in the falls now, and I think married with some kids. She could shoot. I mean, you talk about a writer. Like she could fucking write. She was. She was writing every day, like three posts, two posts a day. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. We were all really um, into chronicling our life in that way. And you went to like an all like girls like. Catholic school or yeah. religious school? Catholic school. Did your were you into writing then? I mean, yeah. you were doing oh, live journal, but yeah, I had um, you know, I wasn't writing poetry, um, though I, you know, played a little guitar and had bought a little book on songwriting at one point. I remember. Um, were you in band? No, no, I was um, arts curious, but sort of more in the jock route in, in high school. How did you get introduced to the internet? Because that was like your first community kind of on the internet. My mom is a uh, computer person and she, we always had a computer. She was always really good at it. And um, yeah, I, as far back as I can remember playing computer games and that kind of thing and sort of, Evolved from there, I guess. What was the first computer game? The first one I remember playing is Commander Keen. What is that about? Is that like a uh, RPG? It's um, kind of a platformer. It's this guy who goes to alien planets to save the world. That kind of thing. Have you thought about writing a computer game based oh, off? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. I took a... Um, a course in my MFA. Um, it was an undergrad course, but I was able to work with the teacher to make it master's level on um, game theory. And um, it was sort of like a like a film class, but for video games. It was awesome. For real? Mm -hmm. You said you made it like a master's thing. How do you do that when you're an undergrad? You just kind of, um, it was like a three or 400 level course. And you um, essentially like, I think the logistics was we made it instead of me enrolling in the course, I enrolled in an independent study with the professor. And instead of, you know, doing all of the kinds of homework that the undergrads were doing, um, I did some like longer papers and multimedia projects. Are those like published? Um, I can send you one that is yeah. actually unlisted on YouTube because I had, it's a, it's a video and we were, you know, speaking over the video. Um, that I made about um, time in Animal Crossing. And um, I, I had to post it on either YouTube or Vimeo or something like that to send it, to submit it because it was too large of a file. Now, Ashley Obscure, your friend, has written for uh, computer games. Have you reached out to her and like, would, would you collaborate with her? 
I would definitely collaborate with Ashley. Um, I haven't reached out to her because it's not something I'm thinking about seriously. Mm -hmm. um, it's just something that is definitely on a on my bucket list of things I'd love to write in my life. So if you did like write your own game, what would the concept be? Hmm, that's a good question. My favorite kinds of games these days are, um, I mean, I love, I love all genres of games, but lately I'm really into point and click mystery puzzle adventures where the worlds are sort of quirky and the characters are very cartoonish and you have to find items and just figure out how to use them. Um, I love, love, love like Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, um, Monkey Island games, like all those old school games that have been remastered that's my that's my thing right now did you ever play like those disney games where it would just like you would have a screen and then you would click on different objects and the objects would like animate and then they would come up with like little text i was thought like what if like a look like what would the literary like version of that would be i just think it would be cool but i'm not like a computer person you should talk to dooski they um that's their that's their jam yeah there there's um Pretty cool poetry thing, which is one of the coolest literary journals, I think. Um, and I know it takes a lot of work on the back end, so they don't publish as often as, you know, your usual literary journal. Um, but yeah, Dooski kills it. And I think they're actually coming to Buffalo in the spring for a residency at this place called Squeaky Wheel, which is a media arts nonprofit around here. So they're going to be working on the next thing, which is really exciting. Have them was, was the poem you up your first uh poem made you feel like i can do this shit because it was like very popular wasn't it yeah yeah um I, that was the first poem that i felt like people were reading my poems who were not my friends or like the editors that mm -hmm. that blew up in a way that even now i am bewildered by and very grateful for um but the first poem that I ever got published was actually um, a poem that Ashley published, speaking of Ashley. And she really loved it and had some nice things to say about it different ways. Were you in Spain at the time? Were you teaching? Yeah, I was in Granada for um, my final year. That's when uh, Metatron published me. And then the summer that You Up came out, I was back in Buffalo. So what like inspired you to like send poems out to like internet uh, places? Yeah, uh, I don't know, I was just ready to, I'd been like a lurker for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think Matthew Bookin and I had met the summer before my final year in Spain. I was back in Buffalo for a minute and hanging out with people. And there's this place in Buffalo that used to exist called Sugar City and it's this like DIY space and we would do readings there all the time. And um, Matthew Bookin and some other people, I I just loved their writing. You know, it was towing the line of comedy sometimes and poetry or comedy and creative nonfiction or just really good fiction like Bookin. Um, and when I went back to Spain, they hosted Ashley Obscura and um, some local writers for whatever the new Metatron 
catalog was at the time they'd brought them through um, because Buffalo is like right on the, the edge of New York next to Canada. So it's quick to get to. And I think that's how I discovered Metatron. And then I was just sort of um, excited by the things I was reading on their Omega blog at the time. Did the that was it the aesthetic that like appealed to you, or that was like it was run by like a woman? Both, yeah, both. Um, I don't think I was thinking about them as inextricable at the time, or it wasn't like a I'm only publishing with women kind of a mm -hmm. thing. I I I loved the aesthetic, the vision of it, and it felt like beautifully designed, girly in all of like the, the right ways. I mean, Ashley has like impeccable, an impeccable eye. Everything she touches is gorgeous. She's got, a, I think a Libra rising. Um, and yeah, I was psyched to have a poem of mine on that gorgeous website with the hologram in the background changing color. And then does that lead you to find uh, the Shabby Doll House? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was like a breadcrumbs trail. It's like one, new journal led to the next and suddenly it was a whole world. Lucy and I, I think we probably, I mean, I guess we must have been in touch after and before You Up came out, um, interactions online. Um, I had done this, um, kind of rewinding a little bit, I'd done this embroidery chapbook and published it in the spring of 2016. And um, this was right around the time that I was back in Buffalo and had, uh, was like a, a reader of the the shabby reader, the shabby mm -hmm. reader. And um, Matthew Bookins sent Lucy a copy, I believe. Um, and she wanted to interview me for the reader. I don't remember exactly how it happened because she and I hadn't met yet. And I think Bookin was just like, I think you two would be friends kind of a thing. Um, so she ended up interviewing me for the reader. And that was, I think, probably the first time we really interacted and, you know, had a conversation. Um, give me one second. My cat just got out. All right. Sorry, we're, we're keeping the apartment separated by this mesh door right now because why? Um, <gasps> that is a whole a whole thing. Are you like like we, a building onto it? No, no, no. It's um, we adopted the neighborhood stray over the summer who does not get along with one of um, the existing cats that we'd had. So we're keeping the apartment, unless we're keeping an eye on everybody, divided by this mesh door. So Do they get into like extreme fights? Yes. And you have to pull them apart and they're like clinging oh, yeah. onto each other. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary stuff, but we're working on it. Anyway, um <laughs> so I think um I remember giving book in one of the the needle points that Lucy had asked me about, she, she'd asked a specific question about one of the needlepoint poems. And I gave it to him to give to her when, when he was going to see her that fall for her wedding, actually. Um, and I think we just had like kind of hit it off and stayed in touch. Um, though we never like, you know, 
we didn't meet until the following summer. That's when we we all went on tour, Peach Goth tour. I, rem- I remember like Matthew Bookin's book. It was like in the reader. And I remember like saying to myself, because it was like, I got into the reader and then the Facebook group. And I said to myself, like, if this book sucks, I'm never going to trust like Lucy's like <laughs> opinions on books again. And I remember the first half of that book I was like, wow, this is so boring. And then I started creating like my own like narrative based off the book in my head. And then that narrative like became like the book. And that's never happened before. It was so weird. And it was I love that book. That's like if you wanted to write like the perfect book, that would be it. And like, I just love Honest Days. And anyways, I remember the first time like you came up, it was in the the Dollhouse Facebook group. And you were like, Lucy mentioned that you had come up with the Secret Santa idea. Oh, oh was that me? I don't remember. I think. I don't remember. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay. Maybe I might have been someone else, but I believe it was you. I just thought like, oh, you guys must be like all connected and like best friends. But the it's interesting. about Lucy and, you know, she is like someone I met in my like mid-20s, you know, but she's someone that I feel like has the kind of like the the energy I was talking about at the beginning of this conversation where it's like I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of ideas. I just can't help myself sometimes i feel like lucy gets that ashley too actually just people who want to do fun weird things that don't have to last forever um and you know have the idea but then actually do it and i i love that about lucy do you think if you didn't have that those representations of doing that you might not have created your own things or would you have done it? I, yeah, I'm sure on some extent, to some extent. You know, I'd been in the Buffalo, like, literary community for a little while. I was working at this bookstore. Um, there were tons of other, like, reading series going on. I mentioned Sugar City, that event space that had a zine library and book fairs and um, small presses and literary journals in the city. Um, and so... Yeah, I guess kind of coming up in that as a young adult, plus discovering this sort of online world outside of Buffalo, the two together. Yeah, when you see other people doing things, you know you can do them, you know. Mm -hmm. What did you like about the reader? Because I loved the reader. Oh, I miss the reader so much. Um, I just loved the tone of it so much. It was just like this kind of community space. Reminds me a lot of the Poetry Project newsletter, the old issues, where it's, you know, part interviews and news about new books and announcements and that kind of stuff. But it's also like clearly a group of friends who are um, keeping up with each other's lives in this centralized way. Mm -hmm. I miss it. I really do. Um, I wish we had something like it i feel lately especially like everything's sort of dispersed oh yeah with like social media like going down and everyone kind of like getting older and moving on and some people moving off the online space that came up on the online spaces yeah it was just it was a cool thing yeah 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 definitely um 
I don't feel excited to go online anymore. <laughs> I don't no. know if that's me though. I'm I'm like in a in a funk. Um, I have not been as like excited by. I don't know. I think I'm just keeping it myself more lately. Um, but yeah, the internet is not as fun as it used to be. I don't know. Like I remember you used to be on Twitter like all the time. And then yeah, when yeah. you you went to your MFA, I feel like you chose to focus more on yourself and your writing because you wanted to take it maybe definitely like double down on yeah, your yeah. time. Yeah, I you know had worked full time throughout my whole twenties and knew how hard it was to really um educate yourself in your free time. Like again, I didn't really start getting into poetry until my mid twenties. So I didn't have any kind of formal education in that sense. And to have that opportunity suddenly when it was something you were trying to do in your own time for so long, um, I was really going to take advantage of it. What was your dream before like poetry? My dream before poetry, uh, marine biologist. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think really? I, I didn't, I've never like had a God, like, I don't want, I like don't dream of labor. I don't like dream of, I don't think I have like a dream job. Um, I like teaching. I like kids. I like um, people, mm -hmm. but I'm like no good at stuff that makes money. And I, I don't know. The happiest I've been in a job is, I mean, besides teaching and really like only teaching part-time, like when I was a full-time classroom teacher, it's just drained. Um, the happiest I've ever been is working a, a retail job before having, you know, strict boundaries of what was work and what was life. And I don't know. I don't, I don't really care about what makes money, I guess, but maybe you don't mean dream in that way. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I've always hoped the writing thing would pan out. I don't know that I had a plan B. <laughs> but it's so, it's so interesting because you're so driven and you take on so many like, little opportunities for yourself to know that like you really maybe in your early 20s before poetry you're kind of aimless mm. and like structureless in your life yeah i mean i try to um you know i try to do the thing that interests me in the moment always much to the frustration of my husband and those close to me. <laughs> I, I have a really hard time planning and managing my time outside of what I'm interested in the moment. And while it's worked out because I commit to projects, because once I'm in, I'm in, um, I don't really have a plan. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't have a plan for, um, you know, what, what I'm planning to do next in terms of you know, the next thing. It just seems like the the things that you take on, though, they're all so similarly related. It would seem to me like someone like on the outside that you have this very disciplined, regimented like plan. Oh, I am disciplined. I'm definitely yeah. disciplined. I, I I read and write every day for four hours in the mo like morning to early afternoon. Um, I'm up at six every day going to the gym. I live a very structured life. When did that start? The gym part or the the structure? The structured. Um. Or taking it seriously, like I'm gonna do this every day. Yeah, yeah, my MFA for sure. Because before I couldn't do that kind of thing. 
my brain is best in the morning. And by the time I would get out of work, whether it was my like soul sucking corporate job or being a classroom teacher where other people just talk to you and crowd your brain all day, God love them. Um, I, I was just drained by the end of every, every shift. Um, but, you know, going from that world to an MFA where you have, and, and a master's is like, you have one three hour class once a week. Wow. You know, it's not like undergrad where you have to meet three times a week yeah. and teaching, but it was like teaching comp, you do it with your eyes closed. Um, suddenly I had all this free time and had to make sure that I used it wisely. So I got really structured. About that. But even when you were teaching, you still had the peach. Yeah, but, you know, teaching was like, I was a classroom teacher in a K-8 to Catholic school. So I would go into work at 7, 30, 7, 7 or 7, 30. And yeah, homeroom was 7, 40. So I would get there at 7, 30 and be out at 2, 30. And I was a... um special topic teacher. So I didn't have my own homeroom. I, uh, I didn't have kids I had to stay after school with, for instance. Um, so I was out at two 30 and when I was out, I was out. Um, and then I had often three day weekends and weeks off for Christmas, Easter, February break months off in the summer. So I had, I had a lot of time. I had a lot of time. And your, was yeah, it your, your first chat book based off like celebrity shirts? That was the second one. The first okay. one was the embroidery one. Okay. And when you put that out, was that, uh, were you afraid to put that out? Or were you like, I want to do something fun? No, yeah, that was more of a fun one. Um, I guess working in found language takes the pressure off in that way because you have a constraint to use. And again, it's like other people's words. And I was using them as masks. I, the I in those poems I wasn't thinking of as myself. Um, it, it felt like really fun to write a poem from rihanna's point of view using her mm -hmm. own words even though you know she had no say in what i was gonna end up saying um yeah no that was more fun that was definitely more fun do you try to create fun things now to do but still also like take it serious because i feel like with hell yeah that there's like a title that seems like fun like you're having fun i think there's a balance it, in that manuscript there's definitely a balance of humor and seriousness. Um, I think there's probably more seriousness in it than in that X. And I think in my next project, it's going to be even more serious. I don't know. I think in some ways, maybe it's just my humor is changing. Um, yeah, but I definitely have a range of like experiments and playful activities that help me write. And that's, even if it ends up being a serious poem, um, the headspace that I get into when I write poems is a playful one. It's not like a therapeutic one or um, any of those other ways people approach writing. So why has your humor changed? Just growing older. Um, hmm. 
I don't know if it's totally changed. Hmm, that's a great question. Honestly, if I'm being honest, um, I think I used to turn to humor more in poems as, I guess the the poem calls for it in some way, but not to like, it depends on the poem. Sometimes a poem needs humor. And lately I've been writing things that I don't think need it. Mm -hmm. When you sit down to write a poem, do you know what the intention is? No, no. No? Then I don't want to write it if I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no, um, uh, no, I never sit down with an intention in mind um, because then it takes the the fun of the discovery out. It's like knowing how the traders is going to end and then why would you watch the whole season, you know? Mm -hmm. um, not that it's like a mystery or a puzzle or something like that. It's just what I get from using my brain in that particular way. Are you going to ever like uh, write fiction, do you think? I hope so. Um, I've started and abandoned many short stories and I have yeah. a variety of ideas for stories that feel like longer things than short stories, but um, I don't have the endurance for it right now, I don't think, or I'm just focusing so much on poetry and reading poetry that it doesn't occur to me to sit down and write fiction with my time. Um, I find that when I have read a really good novel, that's when I want to write fiction. It's like yeah. when I, read, it's the same thing with poetry. Whenever I read a really good poem, I'm like, fuck, I got to write it. I'm going to write a poem now. Um, so like, but you do like, you write every day and you're mm -hmm. working on like poetry books. Yeah. So how do you not like, uh, go to fiction when that, like just open up the same story? What do you mean? Like when you sit down, because you're still working on the same project. You said you don't have the endurance for mm -hmm. fiction. I think it's a different kind of endurance, um, or I assume it is at least. I wouldn't know. But most of my poems are pretty short, and I can get it in and out of them in a day. And then revision is a whole other process, but I usually let it cool for a while. Um, um not terribly long because then you don't want to get bored with it or rediscover it and think it is terrible though. It's good to sit in things for a really long time for that reason too. Um, I usually, when I finish a first draft, I send it to Aiden and Julianne Neely and my friend from the MFA, Lucy Wanger. Those are my, my three readers that I send a first draft to. And then I sit on it for a couple of days, tinker with it. I don't know. It's always revision. Do you ever disagree with Lucy and Aiden? Like you guys are so wrong on this part of this poem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think everybody has their own ear and taste that they're bringing to poems. And that's why, you know, you've been in one of my workshops before. That's mm -hmm. why I always frame feedback as options. You know, it, it something might register with you, something might not. It's just 
we can offer each other different options. Um, but yeah, the, I definitely don't take every piece of feedback from Aiden or Lucy. Do you ever like, does it ever create a huge argument? You know, like I have to like prove my point on why like a line needs to be in the poem? I, I don't think so. You know, honestly with Lucy and with Julie, it's mostly encouraging feedback. Like we send each other our first drafts and then we're just like, oh my God, slay. Or I will go to them and I'll be like, should I do this or this? And then they weigh in. And mm -hmm. not in like a group chat. These are two separate friendships. Um, with Aiden, I think we sit down and we get into it a bit more. He is my my first reader and my last editor before something is done. So he like at, at, at a point when I'm about to send like a journal, a final version of something before it gets published, I sit down with Aiden and we go through every line, every break and sometimes arguments will arise, but he's someone that I feel very comfortable with just kind of, and vice versa. We just, we can be honest and get through it together. So if you didn't have Aiden, it would be a lot more difficult. Without Aiden? Yeah. Absolutely. He's a fantastic reader. He's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with him. Um, yeah, he yeah. is a very talented writer, a very talented reader, and brings a different perspective to poems that I really value. I think that's part of the reason I married him. I must have him around as an editor. <laughs> Is he going to ever do his own workshop? I probably asked him that. He has. You know, we actually met, or we didn't meet as teachers, but um, back in 2016, when I first started working at that Catholic school I was just telling you about, he was um, the middle school English teacher there when I was the the building Spanish teacher. How did how does Lucy inspire you? Lucy K. Shaw. Lucy K. Shaw? Yeah. How does Lucy K. Shaw inspire me? I think... I value her sort of no bullshit directness. Like she doesn't do anything she doesn't want to do. And when she wants to do something, she does it exactly how she wants to. She doesn't seem to me at least from the outside looking in like someone who feels pressure to do things in um, any kind of way, just because that's the expectation. I really value that about her. She's someone that I get a real kick out of. I think we have really similar senses of humor. Mm -hmm. It's it's fun to be around her and kind of make up these play worlds sometimes and just kind of, you know, <laughs> dare people to do things and get on these inside jokes that last years at this point. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a kindred spirit for sure. Could you give an example of the no bullshit uh, attitude that she has? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe it's just an impression I have, um, rather than something where I can like pinpoint examples. But from the way she's run shabby to her own writing, she just doesn't, yeah, seem like someone who's preoccupied by what other people are going to think, whether it's about what she's writing and how she's going to publish it or 
whether or not she needs to do the whole fucking ringamarole of like publicity to like all that kind of like bullshit that the publishing world requires. Um, you know, she she deleted Twitter before any of you deleted Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, she just doesn't seem like someone who um, is going to do anything she doesn't want to do. And I admire that in anyone. I kind of feel that way about Sarah Jean, too. She kind of does her own thing. And she's always, like, ahead of, like, the movement. Like, she's off Twitter. And, like, she deleted her Twitter before anyone else, before this whole Twitter fiasco. <laughs> yeah. How does uh, Julian Neely inspire you? Julie. Um, you ever see those memes go around that are, like, it's, like, two girls, and the caption will be, like, you and the friend who gets all of your delusions. Mm-hmm. That's, like, me and Julie in a nutshell. She's um, a sister to me a like truly like soulmate friend Mm -hmm. what are your delusions oh so many we don't have time (laughs) yeah we don't have time and this is being recorded aren't you uh you said you're gonna you're acting now oh i did act i don't know if i'm acting (laughs) i did act in something yeah when's that coming out um i don't know the work in progress was screened in the fall and I, I don't fully know the way it works with film this is all new to me but i believe the way that it works now because that was a short is the director is going to use that to um try to get funding to develop the project further mm-hmm. and then who knows i really i don't i don't know what the timeline is usually like for that kind of thing how did that like did that affect your your own style in creating your own art? Um it was just so fun to be in a writer's room. Um the acting part aside it was it reminds me of the like truly rewarding peach mag meetings I've had in my life with my fellow editors or with guest editors or uh, readers, like just like being in a room of creative people shouting out ideas and working on something together. It was so fun. And I was doing it five days a week. And it really, was, yeah, it was just everything was so new. It was just all discovery, you know? Oh, acting was surprisingly like intuitive. Um, I don't have like very, I don't, I don't think I have like a theater acting sense. I, I couldn't, uh, I, I really struggled whenever the director would give me a cue to like show something on my face more um, or like, you know, project my voice or something like that. Um, any of those kinds of more dramatic renderings of gesture and movement, it, it doesn't come naturally to me. But um, other than that, it, I learned after getting over like the nerves of it, because that was a learning experience. Um, There are tricks to staying in someone else's headspace. And a lot of that is just language cues. Um, I would have for whatever scene, the same like sentence that I would just repeat to myself over and over in my head that would keep me sort of 
in that present state of another character's mind and what was happening for her in that moment. Um, almost like a mantra. Like, yeah, like a mental cue in meditation, how you know you, you can counter, do that kind of thing. And that was really helpful when I figured that out. It was like a breakthrough. It's really fun. Do you have that when you sit down to write like a mantra in your head? Sometimes I get like a a line or a phrase or a word stuck in my head um, that I'm like playing with and that will end up becoming like the jumping off point for a poem. Um, mantra, I don't think so though. Do you have any, are there any rants or manifestos that you turn to to like get you going to write? Um, there are other people's lines I think about a lot. I'm turning to my notes app right now because I, I want to make sure I get this one right. Um, from a poem by Alice Notley titled uh, Circa 81. Of course, I'm not being objective. It was my life. As a matter of fact, I feel positively defiant about it. I hear that in my head a lot and a variety of others. So why do you turn to that? It's freeing. So, um, she is a, a freeing poet to read when you're writing do you like does the form come to you or do you choose the form while you're writing or do you you write the poem and then maybe you could see it fit into a form mm. and go back and put it into a form good question when it comes to form um i definitely discover as i write it i know i never want something to feel like too manicured like i I'll never be like, okay, and this one will have four lines per stanza and it'll just be um, regular like that. But sometimes if I'm struggling with a draft, I will play around with different forms just to see what the, like if I'm thinking about the language on the page as material, if I might shape it into a sonnet, what could come out or what surprising direction could the poem go in by mm -hmm. having that as a constraint? Um, but then usually once that does help reveal something or, you know, it gets going again, I'll, I'll break from it, but it will be a, an important exercise experiment. What time do you need to get to your dinner? Um, it's not my dinner. It's my cat's dinner and they'll let me know when they've had enough. Okay. Okay. Um, you might see Nico walk across the screen a couple more times though. She's trying to be real casual. How many cats do you have? Four. Four. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we have um, Penny and Nico, the twins that we've had for a while. Aiden's cats, who I adopted. Um, and then we took in the, the stray over the summer. Her name is Diana. And she had a litter of five kittens. And we kept the runt, who I've named Geo. Is it Diana Ross? <laughs> no, it's um, Diana, like the Roman F. Um, I mean, I almost said Aphrodite because she's such a little lover. I have gotten her personality so wrong in so many ways, but Diana has just stuck now. Um, she's the Roman Artemis. Are there any sections of history that you're very like invested in? In that history? Pe people won't maybe know, or maybe like a, a, a area of expertise that people wouldn't assume about you. Um, or interest. I can tell you basically anything about the Titanic. That's, really? 
that's like my one niche like not the movie but like the what happened that i'm not i'm not really a history person because i'm not really good i i have a really hard time remembering details of things dates and names and that kind of thing but i can always like i i can tell you the story or like the, the logical sequence um you like the emotional vibes of the story yeah i'm always mm -hmm. yeah i really struggle to remember anything besides how something made me feel or what it made me think about. Um, I don't know that I'm invested in that period of time or something, but mm -hmm. that's like one thing historically I've done a lot of research on. That and, you know, I guess small press publishing communities, especially lately, has been an area of interest. What about small press? Did you starting one? No, no, I'm not oh. starting um, I'm just, I don't know, interested in the evolution of American poetics in the last hundred years and how that, you know, seems to be spearheaded by these micro communities of people who gather around something like a press or a journal or a newsletter or a reader. Mm -hmm. um, and that I feel like when I learn more about these little communities. I'm like having parasocial relationships with all these people. You said earlier that there was like a, a bullshit, like publicity tour. It's not bullshit. It's something you got to do. Um, just all of the, the promotion you got to do when a book comes out, if you know, you want it to get read, that kind of stuff. Do you not enjoy that part? Um, increasingly I don't. I had a lot of fun when that X came out and planning for that. That was really fun. But I think I'm just like, I don't know. I'm in a funk lately. I'm like tired a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. The idea of like planning things is less and less appealing to me. Is it stressful because you spend, you spend all your time writing and spending your time alone? And then it's such a different experience that you have to prepare for in order to like have this like career or even make money or even do the thing you want to do is right. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. It, it's just, it's very time consuming to do that kind of work. And it's very re-energizing. I love doing readings. I love talking to people like this is going to, sustain me for days, you know? Um, but it's just, I, uh, I don't know. Like anytime I've done an interview, I just, it takes, it takes a lot out of me. It just takes a, a different kind of thinking to write that kind of prose and make mm -hmm. yourself, you know, express yourself accurately and well, while also hitting the tone right. You know, you don't want to come off too self-serious or too um, flippant. Um, so it just takes a lot out of me. I don't know. Do, does like email interviews, like does that stress you out? I've never even like- Anytime I've ever written prose period, like whether it's like uh, an essay or less so a creative essay, but um, I don't know. That, that, was, that was more an offhand comment thing about being a bullshit publicity tour. I just, all that to say, it's just, it's always a lot of moving parts whenever you publish a book. And um, it's work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, because I, 
that hit on something because Lucy had said something. She was on another podcast recently where mm-hmm. she was speaking to. She kind of had the same vibe about it. Yeah. Like a ne- negative vibe about it. Yeah. I'd much rather do something like this, like a podcast where you can't edit yourself agonizingly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or where, you know, a conversation can happen organically instead of having preset questions where you then have to sit with and think about and get right. And then it exists as this like document somewhere. And years later you read it and you are like, I was so wrong about that. I got that so wrong. Um, you never want to over explain what you're trying to do either because mm-hmm. you want readers to have their own relationship with the work. That's the hope at least. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Was it hard when, um, when COVID hit? Cause I mean, I remember that that's when that X was coming mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard. Definitely. Can you talk about that and speak to that? Yeah. Um, I didn't really get to do a ton of readings for it. And then by the time that things were open again and people were asking me to do readings, um, I just didn't want to read from it anymore. I'm kind of, um, I, I, I'm proud of that book and I love the poems in that book. And in many ways I'm, I'm really really glad that it exists and that it happened at the moment in my life when it happened. And that said, when I do read from it now, it feels like wearing an outfit from high school. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, just, it feels like a little sister version of myself that I've just grown out of. And that's, I'm sure, just me. And, you know, maybe it sounds all the same to people who read stuff I write now versus then. But it's just, I don't, I, have, I struggle to read from things unless I'm enjoying the performing of it. And that's just not one I'm, I turn to much anymore. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of uh, writers. Like yeah. when they're, they kind of move on from it and they mature out of it. Mm-hmm. And it becomes like a state of being that they were once in and they don't want to kind of look back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, can, it can feel like excruciating. I really hope that doesn't happen with this new book. I hope I can find a, a publisher for it before that happens. But even if, even then, sometimes it takes like two, three years for a book to come out. You never know. That's interesting though, that you brought up that you could move on from it and not it not being published. One more time. It's interesting that you would write a book and it not being published and you're trying to get it published, but you've moved on yeah, from yeah. that emotional I mean, point. in some ways that's like a, that's a sweet spot for revision. I mm-hmm. ruthlessly edited my book this fall and it's a much stronger book now, I think. Um, but you don't want to get too distant from it that you hate it and want to shelve it because, you know, even though I, I look at that X and I'm like, that doesn't, that's just like totally not me anymore. Um, I'm really glad it exists and I got that out of my system. You know, I think every new project can be an opportunity to try out a new way of being a poet. Where think about poems, but don't you realize that like two or three books from now, you're going to look back on this upcoming book the way that you do on that X? Oh, I know. <laughs> I can already like s- sense it with some of the poems. Um, I mean, that's just natural though for like any writer because you all <laughs> always mature. Definitely. And I, and for that reason, I, I try not to feel like a perfectionist about it, um, which is, you know, again, why 
I went through a period where I felt like such shame about that ex where I was like, who is this like drama queen? Like, it's just like not me anymore. Um, or it's not like a persona I'm leaning into anymore. Um, and I, I'm glad that I've like captured this time capsule of, of a way I was thinking about poems and that it didn't extend into my MFA. Like I can't imagine like working on you up with Peter Gizzi. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I'm so glad I could put those poems behind me in a sort of token of my twenties and my earliest ways of thinking about poems. That's kind of how I think about that book now, just these, my earliest attempts at poems, you know, mm -hmm. without any supervision, without mentorship, without having read much, um, just fucking around and having fun. And so I'm glad that that book exists for that reason even though I went through a period where I was like, so why did I do that? You know, I think everyone does though. So how has your poetry changed after going into an MFA? I think I just pay attention differently now. Um, much closer to other elements of a poem. I've read more, so I've got more voices in my head when I write. Um, Yeah, I think I'm less concerned with what the reader will or won't get, if that makes sense. Like, I don't write opaquely by any means, but I th think I feel more comfortable taking risks and so. trying out weird things. Um, how so? To be honest, like I, I think I'm just less concerned with charming a reader. And that might be both age in terms of age as a poet and age as a person. Like I just don't care about making a reader laugh the way that I used to. And maybe that's a an effect of having written this book in the COVID era where I was sort of hunkered down to my MFA and the poems in that X were poems that most of them debuted at readings. Like I wasn't publishing them in journals. I was reading at open mics with my friends and hoping to make them laugh. And mm -hmm. um, that's why I think there's probably less humor in this book. I was just less, um, I was turning to it less to express myself. Um, Maybe it's more like sitting down and getting to business because you've already like entertained people initially. Yeah. You're not so concerned with that anymore. Yeah, I think I used to be more concerned with entertaining people. That's a good way of putting mm -hmm. it. And now I just don't care anymore because I have so many more models and examples of what poetry is. And that excites me because I, the moment I get bored with poetry, that feels like a impending death. Like that's just, it's the thing that keeps me interested in life. And mm -hmm. um, because it is so inexhaustible, you know? Mm -hmm. um, whereas before I didn't have that many models and a lot of the poems and poets I was reading and interested in were doing similar things. And I don't know. What's the last like poem or poetry that you read or like, fuck, how have I gone on so long without reading this? Hmm. 
Hmm. That's a great question. Or just like, I love poetry. This is amazing. I'm like such a golden retriever about every book of poems I'm reading. I'm like, this is the most amazing thing. No, I'm just mm -hmm. kidding. A lot What's the last book you read? Um, the last book I finished or the last book I read? Or yeah, either or. Um, I am currently reading Patterson for the second time by William Carlos Williams. Oh, for real? And um, I'm also rereading Jack Spicer's reader that Peter Gizzi and Kevin Killian published um, or co-edited. And I recently read Men in the Off Hours by Ann Carson. I finished that a couple days ago, which I really loved. It's a book I'd had for a while and just had never gotten around to reading. And I'm doing like a no-spend January situation, just catching up on some Christmas credit card debt and have been going through my bookcases, finding the books that I've bought and never read. So that's one of them that I loved. Um, yeah, tons, tons. Yeah, that's, an ex that's, a, that's a fun experience of being like a book hoarder. And then when you don't like have any money and then you're like, oh, I have all these books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got like so many books I haven't read. That was like the, the blessing of working at a bookstore was you could just a lot of books would come in damaged or you would get advanced copies of things and Sweet. i took home so many things and now i've just got all of these books i can read would you and aiden start a bookstore uh, we're interested in starting something together i don't know that it would be a bookstore though buffalo's got buffalo's a, a smallish town so it's got it's it's pretty set on indie bookstores what about patterson do you like i don't know yet i'm Halfway through it, it's a book that was published in five parts, and then there was a fragment of a sixth part that um, Williams had started, but was published post his death. Um, and it was published in installments, so like book one would come out, and then you know book two, etc. Um, you know, it's I'm trying to take it at. It, essentially it's a it's 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 a book called Patterson after the the city of New Jersey Patterson it's like his hometown book and it I'm trying to take it and at its you know at its moment in time and think about the impact of the newspaper on the way that people fought and the arrangement of newspapers and it's been interesting to see Williams bring that to poetry you know it's like an early docu poetics book like everyone's writing fucking docu poetry now but it's one of the one of the earlier examples what's docu poetry docu poetry is like short for documentary poetry so it's interested in bringing in other media materials um making explicit the process of the writing i'm just gonna get nico down from my plant really quick okay he's eating it all right sorry about that yeah, so it's um it engages with a lot of um, like found text and archival research and things like photographs and other textual materials, um, mm -hmm. but it also many of you know many docu poetic works document the 
process of making the book itself, sort of like the like director's interference in a video documentary. Sometimes you see they they'll like explicitly narrate how they ended up thinking about something that led to the next thing because it's mm -hmm. this journey that they're on. So there's that element of it too. Um, though Patterson is much more of a much more, I would say that in form, not so much that in like meta narrative or something like that. Um, feels more I, like epic in that way. I could see like you and Julie like creating like mock you documentary poetry or creating your <laughs> mock you poetry. That would be great. Yeah, we need more. <laughs> or just creating your own genre with Julie. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever thought about that? Like creating your own like well, we painting? we have this chat book i don't want to say too much about it that we've like started and tossed back and forth um over the years that you know it it, it feels like whenever like i've got more free time julie's on the job market or you know or mm -hmm. vice versa not that i'm on the job market but um it we can we haven't been able to like sit down and work on it together um but yeah Stay tuned. Watch this space. <laughs> I don't know. Is she has her book uh, been picked up, or any of them? The full length one? Mm -hmm. No, but she does have a digital chapbook coming out with Metatron. Has she asked Lucy? Um, that I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. That's a good question. Is that like something that you would abstain from, like asking one of your friends who has like a press? No, definitely not. Um, I think it's cool when friends publish each other. I I don't feel any kind of like like nepotism or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Small press poetry, you know. I mean, I yeah. think there's like obviously nepotism when you think about career opportunities and other kinds of writing world opportunities. But when it comes comes to just like small press poetry, um, I'm glad for it, you know. But mm -hmm. that's again like tracking all of these micro communities and seeing the impact for the better that they've had on American poetry. So I, I like actually when friends gather around publishing. Um, I think I had that experience with my first book. And so working on my second book, my MFA, I've like sort of wanted to play the gamble a little bit or the, the poet's lotto and just kind of send it out to, um, you know, the contests and that kind of stuff and see if it lands anywhere if it stands out in a slush pile because i think any poet who publishes with their friends at some point is like are you doing this because you like me or because you like my work and so i'm just i'm curious to see if anything comes of that before i think about other options i feel like though lucy wouldn't she's not someone that i would see like publishing something if it was bad no, definitely not. Yeah. No, she, she, I don't think, would ever publish anything she doesn't. I mean, you know, actually, speaking of people who have said things that now we have, like, those lines stuck in our head. When I interviewed her for Peach Mag once about profound experience in Shabby Dollhouse, um, I asked her, one of the last questions I asked her was if she had any advice for people who are thinking about starting their own thing. And she said, never publish anything you don't like. Just, mm -hmm. like, very plain and simple. Didn't you, aren't you the one that came up with the idea of her starting her own press? Because I oh, watched, I huh? I doubt it. No, because I watched her interview you on her little YouTube series and you asked her 
about starting like her own press and she like hadn't thought of it i think it was just maybe a random thing and then sure, it, you know i think whenever and this is i can only i guess speak from my own experience but to your question about beauty school earlier you know there's always going to be like a variety of seeds that get planted or things that make an impact or um things that happen or experiences that you have that lead you to decide to do something maybe that was just one of many if mm -hmm. i did say that to her That's um, true. i'm glad she did though so with peach uh it's gone on hiatus mm -hmm. do you feel like you've gotten everything that you wanted to from that and maybe it's mm -hmm. time to move on that's a great question. I feel like it has come to a point with Peach where I am not sure what I'm learning from it right now. If that makes sense, if I mm -hmm. if I am going to make this about me, um, I mean, there's a million reasons why it's on hiatus right now, and we're sort of rethinking how and what we want to do. Um, but in terms of my own enthusiasm, I get bored with things when I am not like challenging myself, mm -hmm. and that's why we've done a million micro projects through Peach, and you know the programming's constantly changing and. We publish so many people, um, which isn't to say I, I wouldn't learn things through publishing new people and reading submissions. I love reading submissions, um, but I think I just am interested in a, increasingly interested in a different kind of publishing, one that maybe doesn't have to be so reliant on social media especially because of how social media has changed in the last seven to eight years. Um, one that has maybe a physical footprint um, apart from like the special editions. Um, I don't know. I don't, it, it served a, a need both for myself and I think for anyone who wanted to publish us or participate in whatever way. And I am renegotiating for myself what I want to learn next, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And, and Peach is playing a smaller role. Like well, I feel like you created it when you were teaching and it served a function for you to continue a sort of education mm -hmm. of poetry and community. Yeah. And now you're putting it on a hiatus after you have left UMass. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it has served for you a particular function that you are yeah. now growing out of. Yeah. I mean, we, we had every intention to come back after the summer. Um, my plan was just to redesign the website and we were going to, we were going to do issues instead of just like the individualized twice weekly like web features. Um, and we were going to invite other kinds of writing that I don't want to say too much about because I might return to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want any of your listeners to steal my ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, focusing so much on beauty school has been a real creative outlet for me because I'm challenging myself to learn so much. And then, you know, teaching is the most pressure you can put on yourself. You don't just learn something, but then you have to show your stuff. Mm. <laughs> you have to demonstrate that you have understood um, or that you can relay it in a way that gets other people excited. Um, and, you know, it's not like a, a free, cheap DIY literary journal. It's something that it's workshops that people are paying for and expecting them to get things out of. So the stakes are higher. Um, and I'm enjoying that challenge. So it just kind of happened. I don't know if it's so much like finishing my MFA as beauty school is taking up not more of my time, but more of my interest lately. Mm -hmm. um, and then who knows, you know, we hit our seven year anniversary over the summer and maybe it's as true for literary magazines as it is for human beings and their cells regenerating every seven years or something. And you got to sit back and think what's changed and what, what are we now? You know, mm -hmm. seven year age. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I would like, I, I'm, I would like to keep publishing. I just don't know what format and how often and who and how and how, I don't know. I, I'm just rethinking everything right now. Is the unknowing kind of exciting to you? Yes, definitely. Oh my God, it's so freeing. For a while, it, I felt really guilty and like there was a lot of pressure to just keep it going, but I never want to make something that like has to just sustain itself for the sake of itself. And, um, you know, I think people would be disappointed if Peach went defunct instead of just on hiatus, but, or at least I hope it would be. <laughs> um, but I'm, I don't know, anything is possible right now. And with the way that we communicate changing because of how social media has changed and the way that we share information changing. I'm excited about what the next format could be. Mm -hmm. Even if it just means everybody gets offline and, you know, everybody comes to Buffalo and we have little summer camps or something. I don't know. You brought that up several times about social media changing. Yeah. It's something I'm thinking about a lot lately. How do you mean, like, can you specifically state how it's changed. Well, my tweets used to do numbers and now they don't. No, I'm just kidding. That no. is, but I do feel like lonelier on social media because I oh, think yeah. the algorithm varies just like people without blue checks or people who don't get, I don't know, like I, I took like a break from social media for like a month or so and now I feel like I can't crack it. Like the, it's like the algorithm buried me the second I got back on because I hadn't been using it or something. And I noticed that with Peach, too, because we're not using it as much. So now when we do use it, it's like nobody sees the things that we say. Um, and I think I'm just increasingly like bummed about the way that Instagram has changed. And it really is just so pay to play. It makes it really hard to reach anyone. Like I, I put a lot of I put a lot of effort into events when we do events or um, mixes when we make mixes, any kind of print um, project. And it's crazy to put all this time and energy and resources and money, which I don't have and Peach doesn't make, into mm -hmm. a thing that ends up not getting in front of people because the caption said something like register or something like event or something like order, you know? 
Um, so that is a disappointment. Does that affect like how many people see it? Just those words? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or if you, you know, use links in your stories or, um, I don't know. It's like anytime you post something that's like a little bit incendiary, it does better. It gets on everybody's timeline. But if you just want people to buy like a $10 anthology, no one will see it. And it's expensive to do those kinds of things. And not that it's all about money, but you, I can't make more of them if people don't buy the existing ones because I don't, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's a, it's always been a self-sustaining thing in terms of finances. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't have the enthusiasm to make more if no one's reading the existing ones. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's especially disappointing because I know the work is so good. Um, they're beautifully designed, if I do say myself. <laughs> I do say so myself. They, the poems in them are incredible. The guest editors I've worked with are brilliant. Um, and we make these things and then no one sees the social media posts and no no one knows about them. And so it's just, it's hard to feel enthusiastic to make more when you know it's just gonna, it's not something that you're doing or that the people that you're working with are doing, but it's something that greedy platforms are doing. Do you resent people not reading? The- no, because I don't think, I don't, I don't think people are ignoring us or, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's the way that marketing has changed. Because whenever mm-hmm. we send out an email, people will buy the thing. But then you got to pay for emails now. Yeah, that's bullshit. That sounds old. They gotta, and then you got to fucking pay for emails now. Um, yeah. And, and you actually do. Like, we can't use our full email list on Peach anymore, which is... You can't? No, it's just, it, it's crazy. Why <laughs> not? You can't. Like a monthly email subscription. Ugh. And they can just do that. They can just change everything on you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And the fucking internet sites, like, they keep rechanging the subscription models. Yeah. Of charging how much data you can have on mm-hmm. this plan as opposed to this other plan. Yeah, it's horrible. I um, I use Evernote for my own writing as a way to organize my various just, like, scraps of language and things I've copied and pasted from things I've read and list making and um, ideas for workshops. It's like my digital filing cabinet, like notebook. And as of 2024, you have to pay a certain amount of money every month, which is not a little bit of money after the full year. Comes out to be like a hundred and some dollars to use it if you want more than I think like 50 notes is the thing. And I've been using this thing since uh, it's probably been about 10 years now. So I've got thousands of notes on there, wow. you know, and it just, um, yeah, it's very frustrating to not be able to access your own data. They won't let you access your previous notes. Um, there was a moment when I couldn't, and that was a real panic for me and I was exporting everything to PDF. It was just like a ridiculous waste of a day. Um, uh, but now I now I can. I just can't add anything or change anything. It's interesting you're bringing this up because Ashley, like, she brought up almost this exact same point mm-hmm. about the inability to access an audience and how she was talking about moving on to TikTok and trying out TikTok. Mm. 
Yeah, I God God bless her. I can't get on TikTok for my own well-being. And that's mm -hmm. truly like my brain is already short-circuited when it comes to attention and um I've never downloaded TikTok because I just know it would be the end of the world for my attention span. I have like enough things I scroll. Um and yeah, if Peach were on TikTok it would just be the end of it. <laughs> well, I brought up this uh idea to like if you, Lucy, and her, maybe some other people like Chris and Felicetti, like created your own thing, you all came together and created your own like thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that there are tons of options that the future holds right now. And I'm kind of enjoying sitting back and really thinking about it and sitting with it in terms of Peach Mag. Um, because I don't want to give up on it just yet. I really do love it. It's brought me so much joy and friends and sense of purpose and meaning seven and a half years but i just i want to make sure that it still makes sense yeah so why didn't why couldn't you have created something like beauty school from peach one more time sorry why couldn't you have created uh like beauty school attached to the peach oh why didn't i attach it mm -hmm. um, just have something on your own yeah, I think um, it is income for me. And so I think doing it through Peach would complicate, would be complicated. I think I'd feel complicated about it because Peach has been this space where we've been able to keep finances out of it in that way, out of the transaction. And I'm really glad for that because I think that that's part of the spirit for me. Um, but I, I rely on beauty school income for income. And I think if I were to, like I was saying earlier about the stakes being high, um, if I were to do something that flopped on beauty school, it wouldn't reflect on Peach, which is not just me. It's a group of people working on it. So in that way, having the independence to try things out and flop if it's going to flop, um, but also to not to to know that it's not going to reflect on anybody else, if that makes sense, because it is so new and I'm still experimenting with it and figuring it out. And I'm not a scholar. I don't mm -hmm. I don't have a specialization that I'm teaching from. Um, I'm just learning things and then relaying them. So that risk is something I think about people getting their, their money's worth and not spreading misinformation. What's your biggest flop? <laughs> My biggest flop period? Mm -hmm. I think I could be taller. <laughs> just, no, like something that you created that like fell on no, a yeah. Um. Hmm. My biggest flaw, something that I regret. Or has something flopped and then you took a lot from that to create something new? And oh, you kind flopped. of. I thought you were you... saying flaw. Um, oh, not flaw, no. I like how you can't think of any flaws. You know, actually, this summer when we launched Julie's Mix, we 
I tried to do a hybrid situation and the virtual component of it was not great. It's, uh, I mean, it's all DIY, <laughs> you know, so we did it in this outdoor space in at the back of a bookstore. Um, and did not think about it being an afternoon reading, did not think about the projector, not, uh, I don't know. We used, like at the last minute, the projector screen situation fell through. We were gonna rent one and it fell through for reasons that I can't remember. We used like a bed sheet and it was like the middle of the afternoon. So it was just like hard to see people. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was not great. It's not great to have no tech in the age of hybrid events. Um, I'd love to get a grant to develop that because I think it's important to still offer virtual components to events. I think we learned that in COVID, early COVID. Um, but yeah, not all costs money and manpower and people helping out. So, so looking looking back like 2020, you can see all the issues, but like going into it, you probably weren't anticipating those things happening. And also, like, if you if that if this had happened, like, in the beginning of Peach, would it have had like discouraged you from creating more things? No, it's all trial and error. I don't get too down about things. Um, mm -hmm. I did feel bad about that because it was the first event we'd done in person in a long time, and it was our it was my first. I, I used to organize readings all the time in Buffalo, um, but it was the first one I'd done since being back since. Now, I guess it'd been like three years. I think the last one I'd done was the drive-in <laughs> for my book mm -hmm. launch. Um, and I think I just like, I don't know. I can be hard on myself when things don't go right because it's not just, again, it does, it's for my the drive-in at least, like if something went wrong, that's my book and that sucks, but it's my book. Mm -hmm. But if it's a reading where I'm showcasing other people, and all of this work that Julie had put into her mix, and we don't get the hybrid part to work very well, then I feel like I've let someone down. And that's not deserved because, yeah, she kept up her end of the bargain and hide a bed sheet hanging in 3 p.m. sun. <laughs> Can you just put on another event for it? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to? Um, I have some thoughts um, about Mix's stuff. Because while the journal and the event series and all the other like smaller projects are on hold right now, I, I do really enjoy making the mixes and collaborating with guest editors because I learn so much through the experience of someone else looking at the stuff that we've published and what they think and how they're making connections. Um, so I'm, I am I have some ideas. I so don't want do to overcommit by saying what they are. Do they sit there and like read the website and like find the poems they like to put into a book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, essentially. It's different with every editor. Um, you know, really? I've had people come in with a theme in mind that is something that they've been thinking about because of their own work. And so they've sought out poems that help speak to that idea or showcase options and 
that have deepened their understanding of something. Um, but then I've also worked with people who had a collection of poems or work that they really loved, but they weren't sure how to articulate it in, um, you know, every mix has a title, but then it has a subtitle that's just one word. It's like, this is mm -hmm. the theme. Um, and not been able to land on what the word is. And so that we've kind of spitballed a little bit together to help um, figure out what all of those pieces of art have in common in what they're doing or making the editor think about. Um, so sometimes it, it's been quite a different process, I would say, for each editor I've worked with. Are you going to create a physical magazine for Peach? Maybe. 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 Would you rather like start an entirely new magazine or project? It depends. Depends on how different the vision is, I guess. Like if it's, if it feels like something, like I know when something feels like it's not going to be a peach project, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a vibe for a peach? I think so. I think it, it's always hard to articulate your own work from the inside, I think. Like, mm -hmm. But I, I think of Peach as a playful, fun, sentimental, experimental um, space. I don't know. It's different depending, I guess, on what we publish. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like with some, I've got some other ideas kicking around for publishing or editing projects that I'd like to pursue in my lifetime. And I don't know that it all needs to fall under the peach umbrella. Are there too many expectations and like thoughts when starting a new peach project? Honestly, I, it's all, and I, I discovered this with beauty school. It's all so exciting when it can be anything. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I dread doing is like creating a new social media account. I've just like got so many like gag accounts at this point. Like I, if you like look through my Safari, like saved passwords, it's just like stupid. Like how many Twitter accounts I've made in my lifetime or Instagram accounts and um, yeah. I just like the idea of like building a following or having to post things regularly or creating content and checking mm -hmm. DMs. It's just exhausting. Mm -hmm. That's the, yeah. that's the consideration. I'm like tempted to just get like a people's physical addresses and just send things out that way. Like I'm poets and writers. Like old school. Yeah. Probably. I think people would like that actually. I think so too. I think people are sick of consuming content mindlessly. Like, I don't know about you, but I very rarely these days go on social media to like find poems or something. Whereas I feel like there was a real moment in Twitter, especially where I was like reading new poems all the time, like new issues of things, um, people posting screenshots of their work, that kind of stuff. Whereas now, again, maybe this is just like the failure of the algorithm for the new website, but it I just like don't see that stuff anymore or I like go on social media to like look up you know whatever like real housewives hashtag to see what people are thinking about the Salt Lake City reunion like I'm not using social media in the same way anymore but that just that could be also me changing not social media.
Um, I don't know. I think sometimes I read things and then I forget them in an instant mm -hmm. on those websites. And I would say actually most of the time, not sometimes. It's just like fodder for scrolling and putting off going to bed. So it's also like such a, a grueling role. It's like a job to go on like Twitter and you're just scrolling like, why the fuck am I even here? I don't want to be here. This is taking negative energy out of me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a lot worse going on social media than I used to. I think just because it's boring now and it frustrates me. Yeah. There's um, no creativity. It used to be fun. It used to be like, like a lot of people used to talk about how Twitter was so toxic and this and that. And like, it totally was, but it also just like, wasn't my timeline. Like not my mm -hmm. time. It, it like, I don't know. It was the place where I would go to like, see whatever joke Jacob made that day or, you know, or like whatever, mm -hmm. um, run Julie's on or, you know, obscure French author Sebastian's reading. Um, yeah. And now it's like, I just don't get that same joy from it because it'll be like truly all strangers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's people are not even following. Yeah. It's, it's also discouraging to see people like Jacob or like Mary Boo, her account got hacked and she's starting mm -hmm. a new account and she's like, it's like, you might as well not even, create a new account because they're going to be completely alone and then you feel like disconnected from those people because mm -hmm. they're not going to be there anymore and it's like how do you yeah communicate with people now. it's it, it's a lonely experience now i would say and it's like increasingly too there's just like I, I log on every day and there's like new notifications of just like bots and like crypto stuff just spamming it's just so unenjoyable it used to be so enjoyable you used to be able to tune out the like discourse and the toxicity and just find the jokes and the memes mm -hmm. and participate in that and it was fun and now it's like people you've never heard of riffing off of a meme you've never heard of and it like happened overnight and i don't know it's just like feels like such a machine now it's not fun do you have you ever thought about creating your own social media website? <laughs> no, I don't know how to do that. Peach. I don't know. Well, it's almost been like two hours now, so Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it has. Wow. Do you want to promote your next uh beauty school event? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Um, we've got happy birthday, Jack Spicer, at the end of the month. Um, he is a January Aquarius. His birthday is Tuesday, January 30th. He'll be 99 years old. Um, that is part of a series called Birthday Parties where I do little mini lectures on poets and then a series of writing prompts based on their work. Um, and then I'm also doing in early February. Um, I have not landed on a title of the workshop yet. I'm going to announce it tomorrow. So probably be out by the time you hear this. Um, it's a love poem workshop. Uh, we're just going to do two sessions. The first one's just like generative activities, write and love poems. The second one will be a workshop session where we all can come together and give each other feedback. The idea is to write something for your sweetheart, whoever that may be for Valentine's Day. Um, I've got a youth workshop coming out in coming up in um, February as well on Valentine's Day. We're doing friend love. Mm -hmm in a workshop through Just Buffalo Literary Center called 
be mine, not like that. Um, that will be free and open to anyone who's a young poeta writer age 12 to 18. And then later this spring, um, I'm gonna do uh, a five week, I think it is, workshop with Brooklyn Poets um, called Poetry is Magic after Spicer. And it is just sort of reimagining Jack Spicer's legendary Poetry is Magic workshop for 2024. Um, it'll be like a Spicer crash course, essentially. Is he not a Capricorn? No, he's an Aquarius. Is that like the month of January? Does it change from Capricorn to Aquarius? It, it switches over to Cap to Aquarius like the 21st or 22nd, I think. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, I can never remember which it is. Um, what was his workshop that he had? Poetry as Magic. Um, well, if you want to find out. Oh, yeah. From Poets. And then there I'll probably go. teach it through beauty school for a lower price. How do you choose these people? How do I how do I choose which poets? Yeah, like that birthday thing. Yeah. Um, oh, and I just want to say those are just the upcoming beauty school workshops. There'll be more. This is just it's it's January seventeenth. There will be more after February, of course. Um, I pick someone who either I think it depends on how much time I have to read and prepare. It's either someone I know well enough pretty well or well enough um, or someone. And again, this goes back to that secret I was talking about at the beginning of this conversation where it's someone I have not really explored yet. And it's like a, gives me a deadline to learn as much as I can about this person. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to keep learning about these, these people who have fallen from my education. One last question. Okay. So peach served, <laughs> It's functioned sort of for you initially from before your MFA until after your MFA. Have you thought about handing it off to someone where it could serve a familiar function as it did with you? I have considered that. I think where I and the other editors currently stand with that is we would rather hope that we're going to bring it back one day for now. Um, you know, it's not going defunct. Again, it's just on hiatus. Um, I don't want to give people the wrong idea. But also, um, I think that people should start literary magazines if they mm -hmm. want to do that. And Peach has meant so much to me over the years because I put every idea that I had into it. And I feel a real sense of pride over it because of it giving me this opportunity to realize those ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and for that reason, I think people should have an idea and do it. You know, I, I think that everyone should feel encouraged to make a literary magazine if they want to make a literary magazine um, and to make it their own and to really make it unique and it, I, I think that just handing it off to someone, it would almost be like someone who clearly has an interest in editing and publishing. I, I, I think it would be more meaningful if they did, if they made their own thing. They would feel more pride over it 
and their work if it was theirs and it, they would care for it in a different way. They would give it a different kind of attention, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's just my, my feeling, you know, I've worked on other people's magazines or guest edited for things and I don't feel nearly as invested as I do in Peach because it's something that I made with my friends. Well, what if it was like Aeon or Jacob? Um, or both? Hypothetically, I mean, if they raised that desire, that would be a conversation we'd have. Okay. Um, that's not something that's happened though. Okay. Yeah, I think I'd, it'd be cooler to see them create their own thing. I mean, Ashley, like, spoke to this same idea of like creating your own thing and finding out who you are. And I think Alexandra, she has even spoke to this, like you find out who you are, you find out what your voice is. Totally. Yeah. And I guess that's what I, that, that's a good way of putting it. That's what I mean when I say like, it would be more meaningful. Like just thinking back over the last eight years of working on Peach, I have learned so much about myself, my values, my taste, my way of reading and paying attention, my way of interacting with other artists through this thing. And because you have to figure it all out yourself, you have to be really caring and intentional with it. It just requires a different kind of attention that I think I have really benefited from. I think it's made me a better person working on Peach and meeting all of these people and making a thing and caring for a thing and it's a way to like par participate in community. Mm -hmm. Can I just ask you your value? How is it defined your values? And then I'll end. Um, I think it has helped me practice an ethic of care. It has given me the opportunity in so many different forms and ways and moments to practice that ethic at the interpersonal level, which is where I think it all begins, and hear people out, take concerns seriously, apologize, take accountability, um, try put effort in, be imaginative, make something the best it can be, care about something being the best it can be. Mm -hmm. um, I value like capital B beauty, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that that's something that, I don't know, I don't take for granted. Wow, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking that. I, I don't get to talk about that because I think it informs um, everything from my politics at the, you know, from the local to the global. <laughs> uh, that sort of baseline uh, ethic of taking another person seriously, no matter how small the interaction, um, people you don't know or... Mm -hmm. um, because your art is very personal. You want to do right by people when you publish it and share it. There, there's a degree of trust there that I don't take for granted. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just something. Something.